Welcome back. Monday, December 13th, 2021. I hope you all had a good weekend. Suppose they gave a war and no one came. Do you remember that phrase? It was huge in the 1960s and 1970s. It was based on a story told by the poet Carl Sandburg and popularized by an anti-peace activist, mostly forgotten now, discussing and justifying her son's draft dodging in Vietnam. Her son, she quoted in McCall's magazine where she made famous Carl Sandburg's statement, her son said, quote, there is no moral validity to any part of any law whose purpose is to train people to kill one another, close quote. You can almost hear protesters and rioters shouting and quoting that, carrying placards with that throughout the 1960s and 1970s. And this author went on and on about the injustice of her son's arrests and imprisonments. As a moral principle to organize around, there's no moral validity to any part of any law whose purpose is to train people to kill one another. As a moral principle, it's not a very good one. If there is any duty which needs to be enlisted by reason or enlightened by reason, it is the duty of military service. As Harry Jaffa put it, a frequent recurrence to fundamental principles is enjoined upon us by the very nature of our founding and our Constitution. Certainly a nation that took up arms to gain its freedom and which found it necessary to justify to the entire world that taking up arms ought to be able to justify to its own citizens the obligation to serve in its defense, oughtn't it? That it should appear that those who suffer punishment by defying the obligation of military service are somehow braver and better than those who accept the obligation is shameful as well as inconsistent with anyone's interest in survival. Bear with me half a moment to get us to today's New York Times. Jaffa, just a bit more. Central to the doctrine of the Declaration of Independence is the great proposition that all men are created equal. This proposition, to which Abraham Lincoln said the nation was dedicated at its birth, was also called by him the father of all moral principle among us. By this proposition, no man can lawfully exercise political authority over another, except with that other's consent, as is in the Massachusetts Bill of Rights written by John Adams. Quote, the body politic is formed by a voluntary association of individuals. It is a social compact by which the whole people covenants with each citizen and each citizen with the whole people that all shall be governed by certain laws for the common good, close quote. Those who do not become members of a body politic at its institution are nonetheless voluntary members by consenting to remain in it. It is a hallmark of free society that it does not hinder anyone who wishes to leave or to take his property with him. Such a right to emigrate is a corollary principle to the just powers of government deriving from the consent of the governed. So everyone reaching the age of consent who consents to enjoy the blessings of our liberty and remain here consents at the same time to obey the laws founded upon that consent. Keep this in mind as I give you Charles Blow's column in the New York Times today. It's a little bit like liberals and leftists who keep telling us in formal and in informal settings, and you hear a lot about this on the holiday party circuit these days. It's a lot like them saying, you guys need to get over Donald Trump. You know what the response is or should be? Well, you're the first person bringing him up. But Charles Blow today writes a piece headlined, quote, we're edging closer to civil war, close quote. 
He then lectures us that because of laws like in Texas that chip away or conflict with Roe versus Wade, the Republican Party is becoming a party of nullification. He even invokes and quotes from John C. Calhoun. Where to begin? I could start by offering that we Republicans have hated nullification for quite some time. Its modern recrudescence came about in the 1960s to oppose civil rights laws, and that opposition was all in the Democratic Party. Who was the first president to send in federal troops to integrate schools? That would be Dwight Eisenhower. What party were George Wallace and Bull Connor, Orville Faubus and Lester Maddox? That would be the Democratic Party. Who do you think Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about in his famous March on Washington in 1963 when he spoke of the language of nullification and interposition that was keeping blacks from enjoying civil rights. What party was invoking those things then, do you think? And which party created what they called sanctuary cities because they wanted to void on their own federal immigration law? And why do some of us try calling them nullification cities? That's what they are. And when states go about legalizing drug laws against and in conflict with federal law, Did Charles Blow write columns invoking the mummy of John Calhoun come back to life? Calhoun is a complicated figure, not morally, but politically. Morally, he is to be condemned and has been by many of us for decades, if not longer. He was the political philosopher of the Confederacy, though he died shortly before he could see what his teachings had wrought. For example, as opposed to, say, James Madison or Abraham Lincoln or George, uh, John Adams and so many others, Calhoun made the argument that slavery was actually a positive good, not even a neutrality, something to live with, but a positive good. To graft his philosophy onto Republicans or conservatives is a neat trick, but it is just that, a trick, a sleight of hand. If you want to see who today thinks our founders thought slavery a positive good, as Calhoun argued, you have no farther to go than the 1619 Project, the BLM movement, Ibram Kendi, Robin DeAngelo, and the whole woke crowd of critical race theorists and their fellow travelers who keep saying that very thing about our founding, that the founders thought slavery a positive good. And if you go to Calhoun, or the actual leaders of the Confederacy, from Jefferson Davis to Alexander Stevens and anyone below them, you will easily find that historical and philosophical set of claims. Slavery to the founders was a good thing. But if you go to Lincoln, you read the opposite. You read things like this. I confess myself as belonging to that class in the country who contemplates slavery as a moral, social, and political evil, close quote. I could fill the show with Lincoln quotes, consonant with this point of view. So who, just who, is aping notions of nullification and rewriting our past based on a philosophy defeated on the battlefields of this very country nearly 160 years ago? As for states nullifying something in the abortion debate, excuse me? Every state has varying laws restricting aspects of abortion, and every state that has done so has submitted its judgment peacefully appropriately and legally to the federal courts in the U.S. Supreme Court. When they're struck down, they're struck down. That's not how nullification worked. Was there a nullification effort 
in trying to have Linda Brown attend a non-segregated school in Kansas in the 1950s because Plessy versus Ferguson was the law of the land? Absurd. How does Mr. Blow see the entire civil rights movement as one big nullification or one big effort to move our laws into concurrence and accordance with our principles as found in our fundamental act of union, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution? So as he cannot go too much further against Texas just now, because I'm guessing even he realizes there's not much to his point other than historical revisionism, Charles Blow writes, quote, And this war won't be only about the subjugation of black people, but also about the subjugation of all who challenge the white racist patriarchy. Close quote. Okay, full stop. A civil war in this country seems to be the consummation wished by the left, not us. Those who started it in the 1860s are the philosophical forebears of the left today, both seeing our founding as philosophically racist. The side of history that didn't believe this was the majority of this country, the majority of states, the majority of people, the majority of soldiers, and the winners, the victors in that great contest. If you want to see true not teaching of history, if you want to see true fear of the facts of history, you can see it in the left's pedagogy. They ignore all of this and teach none of it. Given their books, you'd think that Lincoln and the Union were fighting to keep slavery legal. You'd think that Lincoln and the Union thought slavery a good thing. You'd think Lincoln and the Union thought the founders believed in slavery rather than understanding they had slavery in parts of the country and wanted to put it on the course of ultimate extinction. You'd think the Confederacy won the Civil War. And now we find, in a new survey, survey only 20% of our nation's colleges and universities require the study of American history in their history majors. Think about that. Only 20% of our colleges and universities that have a history major, which is almost all of them, require the study of American history. This, of course, is how Charles Blow can get away with all this. But just remember, because a war may be desired based on false pretenses meant to be built on the influence of propaganda and knavery, does not mean we conservatives want one or the ones trying to break us up. Nor have I in my over 50 years of life ever once met a conservative or self-declared Republican who says things like it's the white patriarchy that we want to conserve. What conservative has Charles Blow ever spoken to that has said that? Someone should ask him. No, it is not our belief at all. But the Blows among us keep saying it, and saying it enough, I suppose, in a community of the unlearned in American history, which is exactly why and how such views can take root and be held common. I can't let this pass, but it doesn't neatly fit into my thoughts here. Just something Charles Blow put in his column on the Texas abortion law. Quote, a key component of women's rights and body autonomy is being snatched away as we watch. Close quote. Now, Mr. Blow, do vaccine and mask mandates against women, against children, against men. Is body autonomy only important on a truly controversial topic that very many people think is not about one body. May I close with C.S. Lewis in his aptly titled Abolition of Man? 
The task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. The right defense against false sentiments is to inculcate just sentiments. By starving the sensibility of our pupils, we only make them easier prey to the propagandist when he comes. For famished, nature will be avenged, and a hard heart is not infallible is no fallible protection against a soft head. Just remember that. A hard heart is no protection against a soft head. I'm Seth Liebson, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. If you need a uh, a, a song for your uh, smartphone alarm or whatever to get you out of bed in the morning, that's a good one. Just set the volume high. That'll get you going. Lawyers, Guns, and Money by uh, Warren, Warren Zevon. Rick is in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello there, Seth. Good Monday morning. Good Monday morning Monday to you, too, or good Monday afternoon, whichever. <laughs> Yeah, good Monday. I, I threw you <laughs> off because I was talking about an alarm and getting out of bed. I know. My I fault. Know. My fault. But then again, I'm kind of easy to throw off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Seth, I'm I'm calling about... Better to be easier to throw off than throw up. <laughs> Take the yeah. win. Take the win, Rick. Take oh, the win. That kind of came up in my mouth. Take the win. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, uh, Seth, I'm calling about a serious, mendacious problem that I... Uh, discovered we are fight facing in Phoenix, Arizona. Yes, sir. Uh, on my way to the office this morning, I passed a very large homeless camp. Yeah. And when I got to the office, I called uh, several places. I, I called the Phoenix police to report it, and then they told me that, that I should call Phoenix Cares. Now, I understand that Phoenix Cares was funded and established to help reduce the homeless problem. Okay. So I called them, and uh, I got a hold of a nice lady uh, and gave her the information, and she said, well, what we do is uh, we go out and we talk to them and try to encourage them to get help, et cetera, et cetera, and we clean the site up. But if they refuse to leave, uh, we just uh, let, allow them to stay there. And I said, well, you mean, so uh, who do I call to get them to move? And Seth, her response tied right in with your monologue. She says, well, you know, it's not illegal to be homeless. Okay. And I, that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks because... You know, I guess she thought I'm a stupid child or an idiot. Yeah, or she what? did. She thought that. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I just thought to myself, lady, you are totally betraying your bias here. You're supposed to be uh, operating to reduce homelessness, but in fact, all you're doing is enabling it mm-hmm. and making it more of a problem. Mm-hmm. 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 And so, you know, it kind of tied in with your monologue there, because I remember the, the Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just what we've got on the left. We've got these this twisted, 
uh, it's intentionally twisted, I think, on uh, for the most part of, of uh, uh, individuals that are just turning stuff inside out. Now, you know, so it's my problem that there's this homeless camp. Yeah, now, now, I'll, I'll I, tell you what, this is, this is all... This is all really odd to me. I, so every once in a while I have really strong thoughts about how to deal with the homeless population, and I haven't in a while. But yeah. but um, if you go to that, well, that Phoenix Cares website that you were talking about, that's where they referred you, Phoenix Cares, C-A-R-E-S? Yeah, they gave Stan- me a phone number for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They also have a website. Yes. And okay. it stands for, CARES is an acronym that stands for Community Action Response Engagement Services. Now, okay. what's interesting about that is on the right side of the web page, it has resources. Uh-huh. And you can click them on. And the third one, the third resource is learn about trespassing ordinances. So yeah. even she must know, or I would presume someone who works for Phoenix Cares must know, that trespassing in Arizona is still an illegal act. Hell, their website says so. And then, right, right. And then you can click it, and it can take you to how to fill out an arrest form in your precinct or what's called an authority to arrest, something that tips off an officer and and gives him, you know, perhaps if it's your own property, you know, if it's corporate or or uninhabited property, your own property gives them permission to come on it and deal with it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So even she must know that there are laws against this sort of thing. Yeah. And it makes me wonder every once in a while, as I do, about our homeless population, um, whether it is more compassionate to let them stay out in the cold, wallowing in their Bill. homelessness and everything that goes along with it. By the yeah. way, a lot, the majority, substance using or mentally infirm or ill. Right. Not not in the second case necessarily their fault. Right. Is, is, it, is, it, is it more compassionate to let them stay there and wallow in that? Is that not its own form of imprisonment in a sense? Or Bingo. is it more compassionate to actually do something with them that might get them help in partnership with a church or charity? Or even, Bingo. even, even, I hate to use this as a, but we need it as a last resort, especially if it's leading to criminal activity, which in yeah. some cases it can, even using our incarceration system. I, I'm going to do our culture uh, and economy update. You've, you've got a lot of people calling in on this. I'm going to beg of you to just stay with me, Rick, online. Feel free to hang up and call back if you prefer. I do want to spend more time on this, and I will do so this hour. I'm glad you brought it up. Anyone else on hold, please stay on hold. We will get to you. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Our culture and economy update comes every day at this time with John Dombrowski, Jr. He, president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, also the host of his own radio show right here on 960. It's on every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. And his website to learn more or to reach out to him is Grand Canyon Planning. 
com. Grand Canyon Planning dot com. Hi, JD. How are you, sir? Fantastic, Seth. Hope you had a great weekend. I really did. Thank you very, very much. I really did. Nice. I- I learn. I don't know what the indicia are for most people's good weekends or great weekends. I wonder what yours are, but I'm going to tell you my two indicia. Do yeah. I feel tired Monday morning? I want not to, so I want to have gotten some rest. And did I learn something or some things? And, uh, you know, if I worked on some books or something like that, then yes. That's how right. I know I had a good weekend. Now, it's just the opposite with me. Is it? That if I'm tired on You Monday, know you were sucking the marrow weekend. out of life, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, um, yeah, no, always learning something. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I learned I, from all of my clients and people I meet with through my life, I always uh, hope that I never feel that I can't learn something. And, and are you like but, me? You kind of assimilate it all over the weekend. You kind of put it all into a bigger context for yourself and your own thoughts and private time. Maybe yeah. not. That's, that's what I, I have. Spend. If I have time, that yeah. was the key, the private yeah. time. But yeah, otherwise, if I'm caught up and busy on the weekend, then unfortunately, sometimes we just don't get that, that time to do that. But yes, if I'm, when I'm, you know, just sitting alone, in, in a room somewhere, <laughs> yeah, I can collect my thoughts. There, yeah. there you go. Yeah, no, I think it's important that we have quiet time. Um, listen, uh, John, speaking of running out of time, uh, yeah. this is interesting, this story. Apple, the corporation, now lets you choose contacts who can access your account when you pass. Here's how right. to set it up. This is an interesting story. Talk, talk to me about what you read and, and glean from this. Well, if you think about all of the information that we store on our phone, we think of digital, we don't think of, I should say, digital assets often. Right. But our lives are intertwined with our digi- digital assets. Uh-huh. And so you have to, have to assume that uh, if something were to happen, uh, oftentimes people have all of their passwords in their phone, yep. all of their photographs, right? Yeah. You take photos. We don't print photos anymore and make photo albums. Our photo albums are on our phones or on our a cloud storage device, whatever that might be, and oftentimes it's Apple or some other uh, cloud storage that you might be using. And if something were to happen to you and no one had access to that, how would they get access to it? And oftentimes it's a court process that you'd have to go through. Why do we do estate planning? Well, we do estate planning so we don't have to go through a process of probate for our financial assets. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to digital assets. So those digital assets, if you wanted someone to have access to them in the past, you really didn't have a way to do that unless you gave them all of your passwords now. Yeah. And maybe people don't want to do that. Right. So here's an opportunity. Apple has come out with a way to allow somebody or a number of people, whoever you would want to appoint, to have access to your accounts when you pass away. Mm-hmm. And I think this is actually a great idea, and I encourage people um, to take a look at this if you've got an Apple phone or any Apple product to be able to uh, see how you can put a person on that list so that if something were to happen to you, they would be able to access your information. It'd be very important, I believe. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing because um, most most of our lives are, uh, most of our lives are increasingly on digital and not on paper, not filed with right. someone. I mean, yes, if you're conscientious, you have all of this buttoned up and, and done with someone like yourself or perhaps an estate attorney. I don't know. Um, there's a couple different ways to do it. But by and large, most people don't. 
It's just the truth. Most people don't. True. They're, they're, they're not, right. They don't plan that way. And there's, of course, accidents. It, it, it seems to me that, yes, then starts the months and months and sometimes years of trying to unravel right. and unveil and right. comply with everything that needs to be done in the absence of that person's life. Uh, anyway, it just seems yeah. I, I'm 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 kind of with you. I I I, I think I think this is this is a great thing for those who want to live their lives more digitally. It's also more responsible. You know, some people too, Seth, have a very complex estate. Others have a very yep. simple estate. Yep. Uh, the more complex your estate is. Maybe oftentimes those are the passwords, those are the websites, those are the individuals that someone needs access to to be able to help get through that process. And most times it's going to be in your contacts uh, or your password programs, whatever it might be. So it's really, I think, important for someone to take this serious, look at it, see if it makes sense for you. If it does, appoint someone that can access your phone in the event of uh, either incapacity or upon your death. It's Beautiful. Important. Because the key is what you said. You don't necessarily feel good giving them your passwords right now. You just... Correct. You don't. Even it's like family. putting someone I on don't. your bank account right now. Yeah. Would you want to put someone on your bank account yeah, now? No, no but no. you want maybe them to get no. it upon your death. Exactly so right. a way to do that. Proper planning. We can help with that here at our company. Go to our website, grandcanyonplanning.com. Thank Securities you. and Advisory Services offered to Clientwood Securities LLC, a member of Finran Tipican, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Clientwood Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank Thanks, you so much, John. Seth. All right, brother. We'll talk tomorrow. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rick in Phoenix raised a question about the homeless in Phoenix. Not a question so much as an anecdote and a response he got from the city of Phoenix. He's holding, and I'm going to ask him to stay on hold. As I take two other calls, I'm going to come back to Rick um, as the as the Origio uh, of this conversation. Uh, let me first go to Dana and Chandler. Dana, I'm glad you called. You were on my mind. I hadn't heard from you in a while. I hope you're well. Uh, everything's great, Seth. Good. We just, you know, I, I, I listen, and sometimes I just have no words. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand, of course. Uh, you wanted to weigh in on the homeless issue. Yeah, you know, Rick said that, that he called um, the city of Phoenix and their response, and that being homeless isn't illegal. I could not believe it. I had called last summer the city of Chandler, and, you know, there's this whole um public service message out there if you see something suspicious say something to local authorities. yeah they don't mean it but it's out there yeah no they absolutely don't because i saw something that's not normal in my everyday and that was a homeless camp by my local lowe's and i got the exact same response from the city of chandler pd when i called they said well it's not illegal to be homeless in chandler i said well but it's illegal for them to be camping on Trespass is illegal throughout the state owner. of Arizona, and 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 these people yeah. at Phoenix Cares or C A R E S, they know it. It's on the front page of their website. Yeah, so they so they asked me if I was the landowner, and I said no, and they said, well, then why are you concerned? Oh, really? They made you defensive. They put, or I uh-huh. should say, they tried to put you on the defensive. Yeah. Yeah. How dare I actually report a homeless camp? How dare you actually report a dangerous situation with it? With uh, someone who is likely mentally disturbed or drug, uh, uh, drug, uh, drug, uh, drug using on the streets of the city. Yeah, how dare you? Right, right. I, I couldn't believe it when Rick said that. I thought, oh my God. Yeah. Are they, 
are they do they not want to do their job? Are they just lazy and they have to go out and investigate these I, things? I don't, just say, I don't, oh, don't think it's that. It? I really don't. I think they don't believe in their job. I don't think they believe in it. I don't think they believe that keep that 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 maintaining order and and safety in this society is their first duty, is every government official's first duty, quite frankly. I don't think they believe it because of a preferred class of person who is written out of the of the law having to apply to them. This is why in Cal it's it's a version of it's a version of what they've done in California. If you define something that was a crime as no longer a crime, you can easily say we have less crime. I just wonder if because it doesn't affect them directly that they just don't care. Because the laws apply to me, they apply to you. Well, I think it's I think it's twofold. I think it's that they they I I think it's that they don't want to deal with it the way that you and I want to deal with it because it's 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 a preferred kind of criminality. It's a it's a criminality that people have found to be one more of uh, empathy than one of uh, conviction if that makes sense. They they want yeah. to empathize and say that poor person. The truth is that may or may not be a poor person, but the way they are living and what happens around them leads to more of it. And it's an unsafe situation regardless, whether it's the hot summer in Phoenix or the cold winter. It's an unsafe situation for that person. And if indeed there is going to be subsistence based on um, misdemeanor theft or, for that matter, felony theft, that's another matter altogether. If it's a subsistence that's going to involve uh, dr- uh, drug use and drug trading and drug dealing or drug trafficking. That's another set of laws. But all of this category of laws is something that too many officials and too many in the left who support these officials just don't want to touch. Their measure of compassion is how much money they can throw at nonprofits, not how clean they can keep the streets. And if they're throwing all this money at nonprofits, then what is the excuse for homelessness? It's not like there aren't resources out there. I mean, you can pluck any homeless person off the street. There are shelters available. There are services available. However, they come with rules. Yes, and of course. Of people that live on the street don't want to deal with the rules of life that come with getting help. Well, well yes, of course. And, and, and a lot of city officials want to would be much more happy coercing you and your family to dress a certain way or cover your face a certain way or inject something into you than they would deal with this which is right in front of our faces it's a very 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 um subjective enforcement of the law but for those who are liberal and live in San Francisco, not left, but liberal, who live in San Francisco, guess what they're waking up to? They're waking up to saying maybe the broken windows theory was right. They're looking around their neighborhoods, and they are now beginning to say, hmm, maybe we tolerated too little for too long. They're beginning to say that. And you know, The only problem is it's harder now than it was two, three, four, five years ago. And and the next complaint will be, 
well, there's no stores and there's no grocery stores and there's no drug stores in poor neighborhoods and those poor people. That well, will be a complaint. I'll they t- robbed them blind. That, that, that will certainly be a complaint. And, um, you know, another complaint will be after shutdowns and closings and, 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 and small businesses not being able to reopen because they've been put out of business. No jobs. No jobs. Yeah. All of this is self-inflicted. All of it is self-inflicted based on subjectivity. And the subjectivity right now is that there are certain classes of crime and certain classes of criminal that officials just want to close, would rather close their eyes to and shame you for reporting than deal with the problem itself so that we can all live in a safe community. Let me let me let me have Don weigh in and then I'll go back to Rick in just a moment. Don and Peoria. Hello, Don. How are you, sir? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I I have been so frustrated with this whole, you know, with this topic in particular for a long time, and I could not understand why progressives weren't, you know, or liberals. I shouldn't say progressives, but liberals weren't catching on. And I was listening to a podcast with Joe Rogan, and I don't know if you've listened to any of his podcasts, but I heard him speaking with Ben Shapiro for two and a half hours straight, and I did not hear them disagreeing about hardly anything. But the guest that really shocked me was Michael Schellenberger, who worked with nonprofits of George Soros for quite a while, mainly with climate change, but also with criminal justice reform. And he was just talk- he just wrote a book called San Francisco: Why Progressives Ruin Cities. And he left progressive philosophy, and he and one of the things that really changed him was being in the, in the Netherlands and uh, talking to the people there who said, "Look, you have to have carrots and sticks. Mm-hmm. When you have mentally ill people on the streets and they want to have an apartment, you say." You need professional care, and you need to show that you're taking your medication. You're, you're absolutely right. i, I got to take the break. I'll pick up on that point and come back to Rick in a moment. I'll pick up on that, Don. We'll be right back. An additional thought on the issue of the homeless uh, before I give Rick the last word. When we think about this, we are talking about our fellow citizens, and I do want us to think about how you would react to a family member, even if estranged, a family member, a brother, a sister, who had a mental illness or a drug problem, how would you treat them? How would you want them to be treated? Is not the task of statecraft and citizenship to treat our fellow citizens as if they are members of the same family we are? What is a citizen except someone not an alien? This is our entire family we're talking about. Rick, I'll give you the last word. You brought this up. Well, thank you, Seth. I appreciate you taking my call. And When we talk about being our brother's keeper, we're not necessarily really talking about, and I'm pretty sure in the Bible it's not about blood relation being tested first. That's correct. Thank you. Yes, that is right. And the only thing I would really add to this whole conversation is a point that you made as we were beginning to talk about it, and that is, what is true compassion? Mm -hmm. What is real compassion? Unfortunately, I have had the 
experience of dealing with a lot of these homeless folks, and the drugs are a big part of it. Uh, vandalism is a big part of it. Uh, sanitation is a big part of it. I can't tell you how many times I've had to clean up where someone used the bathroom around our property. Uh, and just the general uh, lifestyle and situation that they live in, uh, it is not compassionate uh, enabling them no. to live in that lifestyle any more than it's compassionate to enable a drug addict That's or right. an alcoholic That's to right. live in that lifestyle. That's right. You can la- have them living in a permanent prison of their own making, or you can put them in a temporary one if needs be. Exactly. On the way to their freedom. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think we, we've got to find ways and really encourage uh, the city council and uh, whoever's Well, we're going to have elections. We're having elections coming yeah. up. I'm going to talk to these. You know, Sam Stone here has a show called Broken Pot. I'm going to talk to him oh, yeah. about this. I, I bet he's in sync with you and me. I yeah. bet he is. Yeah. Well, I, I hope so. Because we, I, I seem to see this problem over the last several months has kind of, has been growing. I don't know if it's just in our area that it's growing, but I, I'm afraid... It, it happens that. seasonally because, you yeah, know, when the winter time does. comes, you know, there are better places and worse places to be. Yeah, it does, but I'm afraid we have some people in offices that want to lead us down the path to L.A. and San Francisco. I know, and, I know. Uh, you know, there's there, there really are, and, 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 and they do so because they follow a belief... That the worse, the better. The worse, the better. And you know why? The, 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 the worse things are, the more government can move in and solve it. Well, we don't have to let it, things get worse. They're bad enough right now. How about we arrest it, stop it, and reverse it?